The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Salve, sono una giornalista di Bloomberg. Posso fare una domanda? That's our producer, Federica Romagnello, asking people in Italy what they think about their prime minister, Giorgia Maloney. Cosa ne pensa di Giorgia Meloni? È brava persona. Good person. She's intelligent. It's trouble. To me, she's not the best premier we could have had. There's better out there. Giorgia Meloni is currently doing positive things that I'm interested in on a social level. I'm not in favor of her ideology. I don't really get along with it. An excellent choice. Last autumn, after forming a coalition with other right-wing parties and then winning the majority of the vote in a general election, Giorgia Maloney became the new Prime Minister of Italy. Italy has sworn in its first female Prime Minister and in doing so, the most right-wing government the country has seen in decades. She came to power after 20 months of Mario Draghi's government, at a time when Italy was preoccupied with issues that worried the entire continent. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, authorized a special military operation. Electricity bills are soaring, gas reserves are depleting, and winter is coming. The Eurozone is almost certain to enter a recession. Many still associate Georgia Maloney with the politician that a few years ago shouted on stage at a rally, I'm Georgia, I'm a woman, I'm a mother, I'm Italian, I'm a Christian. You won't take that away from me. But nine months into her government, she's proving to be somewhat more moderate in her policies than many expected her to be. She still has her ideas, but she's playing the moderate on things that are important, and so she might last quite a long time. That's Bloomberg's Alessandra Miaccio, and together with Chiara Albanese, they joined me from Rome to talk about Georgia Maloney ahead of her visit to the White House. So the key question is, will this meeting be a promotion and an affirmation for Italy looking ahead? I'm Rosalind Matheson, in for Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, as Joe Biden welcomes Georgia Maloney in Washington, we take a close look at the Italian Prime Minister's politics. Giorgia Maloney is really one of those highly intriguing leaders, a person where there's a lot of things people know about her or think they know about her and a lot of presumptions about her, sort of baked-in narratives that have been around for a long time. So I'd like to just start by talking a bit about her background and what drives her and how she went from being somewhat on the fringes of Italian politics to being prime minister. Chiara, can you lay the table a bit about what we know about Maloney and her background? Giorgia Meloni is a fascinating political figure. She's not a fascist. She is a politician by career. She started her political career where she was just in her teens. She just joined a local branch of a far-right party. 
and since then she's never stopped. She is a lot of firsts as well. She is the first female prime minister in Italy. She is also the first far-right prime minister in Italy. And she is leading a coalition of very vocal partners, including, for example, Matteo Salvini. But she is clearly dominating them and calling the shots. So she is somehow a descendant from the Mussolini heritage, but after a long series of generation and changes. And during those changes, also her ideology has changed a lot. She is not preaching for Italy to get out of the Eurozone. She is a pro-NATO, pro-Ukraine supporter. She has got very traditional ideas, for example, when it comes to civil rights, to how a family should be formed. But she does not want to rock the boat or just change Italy from the foundations. She doesn't want to change the fundamental framework of the institutions. And this is basically a mix of her background and also an adaptation of what it means to lead the third biggest Eurozone economy. And I'm curious, Alessandra, your thoughts about this, because Chiara talked about how Maloney's ideology has changed over the years, at least what she's saying. But do you see also that ideology of hers has become less sharp? And is that the idea when you think about leaders elsewhere, like in France? Marine Le Pen, for example, has sort of refined her narrative over the years to, in a way, become more palatable to a broad population. Do you see parallels there? Yes, I do. And I actually think Meloni's moving more to the centre than Marine Le Pen. Basically, I think Meloni's seen her opportunity. She's seen that she can become, you know, the new conservative right. And because, well, now recently Silvio Berlusconi has died, so we don't have Berlusconi's, I guess you could call it, center-right party. You do have Matteo Salvini, who is the leader of the League Party, who is very far-right. Very soon there will be European elections, and we can see her trying to move, not with the far-right party within Europe, but she's trying to be on board with the center-right. She wants to be with the relatively moderate right. So I think she's seen that she can hold power for many, many years if she uses different words presents herself differently, and particularly on economic policy and such things, she doesn't rock the boat. When she came in, there were all these, in a way, sort of narratives and conceptions about her and ideas of how she'd go as prime minister. How much of all of this has surprised you, Alessandra? I was a bit surprised because I did believe that she was a fundamentally an heir of that party. Um, but then I saw pretty quickly that she plans to stay as long as possible, and she's not going to do anything crazy, as we said, to rock the boat too much. I think she was also, as far as economic policy is concerned, you know, she followed Draghi, and she saw how that his government, Mario Draghi, who had a technical government before Meloni, gave stability. She realized that she wanted to aim for that stability, but she has more power, really, because she has the vote behind her. I was surprised at how quickly she sort of managed to transform herself. But then again, she's someone who's been in politics since she was 16. So she does have that experience. She still has her ideas, but she's playing the moderate on things that are important. And so she might last quite a long time. Well, let's talk about that durability question. Chiara, are we seeing an unusual period of stability in Italian politics? Is Maloney potentially able to sort of see out a term and even beyond? In Italy, governments on average last just over a year. 
Italy has had about 70 governments after the Second World War, and so you can just easily guess how unstable our political system is. Now, Giorgia Meloni could be the first person that lasts as prime minister the full term, which is five years. Um, there is no political opposition to her. So the left at the moment is basically divided and uh, slightly lost. The parties that are in government with her have no incentive to create any issues and threaten the stability. So she is stable. But Ross, I remember a conversation we had in Rome over a good coffee. And during that conversation that we had, I told you in Italy, you never know when a government crisis starts. It can happen unexpectedly anytime. Chiara, let's talk a bit more about expectations versus reality. We've sort of talked about what were some of the preconceived ideas about her going into this administration. We've talked about the possibility she may be the first leader in a while to really last a full term in Italy. But how would you describe it so far for her in terms of expectations versus reality? Look, Ross, I have to say that expectations have very much met reality. She pledged to remain very loyal to the United States policies and to not turn her back on Ukraine. And she has done so. At the same time, the expectations was that she was not going to change too much Italy's position within the European Union. These expectations has also been met. And also expectations that she uh, was going to change slightly uh, social policies. Those happened as well. And this is the area in which she is showing um, her more far-right ideas. The Italian government has recently approved a bill that will criminalize surrogacy for all the citizens in the country, as well as abroad. On Monday, Alessandra, you've talked about sort of recent events, including the death of Silvio Berlusconi, obviously a giant in Italian politics, a, a controversial giant, but one nonetheless. Former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi has passed away at the age of 86. Self-described as the Jesus Christ of politics, his legacy is complicated, to say the least. How does this fit into things for Giorgia Maloney? Does his death make her arguably more powerful in Italian politics? Certainly his death leaves a vacuum. Where those votes go and where those uh, members of parliament, those Italian politicians go, is very, very important. It's hard to say exactly what will happen. Initially, the idea was that probably, you know, they would sort of spread out some going towards Giorgia Meloni, some towards uh, Matteo Salvini. Tensions can increase. So as we move away, you know, from the moment of Berlusconi's death, we're moving into a free-for-all and a fight for power. And it's a little bit hard to say what will happen next from that point of view. How much is the economy on her side in this, Alessandro? We've talked a bit about the stability there and that being a key question for her. For a start, it is the third biggest economy in Europe. So it matters not just for Italy, but for Europe and beyond. Is that why we should care really about Italy beyond sort of its borders? Well, definitely why we should care because it is this very big economy. It's a member of the G7. In Europe, it has a lot of weight. A lot of people, when you talk about the finance bits, you know, they say it's too big to fail because if something really bad happens to the Italian economy, the other European economies have to follow because, first of all, Germany and France are the biggest trading partners. So anything that really goes wrong in Italy would create problems for their economies. But also 
the European Union, if Italy somehow exits or if something really awful happens, wouldn't be sustainable probably without a country of its size. We're talking about, although the population is shrinking, it's almost 60 million people. So it is also one of the largest countries and a very big economy. The Italian economy is relatively weak. That's a big problem. It's always sort of on the verge of disaster and then never happens. But one of the problems is Italy's huge debt. It's a debt that was accumulated in the 1980s. It, there's a long story behind this debt, but it's very, very big. It's beyond 140% of uh, gross domestic product. And that means that Italy has trouble improving its economy because, you know, how do you reform? How do you invest if you're busy paying off your debt, which is gigantic? Things are looking up for her so far. Investors think she's relatively stable. But the problem is, you know, any time Italian bombs become more expensive for the government, then the debt becomes almost unsustainable. And th that's a big deal. Europe should care because, you know, a lot of Italian bonds are in banks all over the world and all over Europe. So there are a lot of reasons why Italian stability is important to its allies and beyond. Coming up, a closer look at Giorgia Maloney's politics and what it means for the Italian and global economy. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk more about Georgia Maloney's policies and actions so far. Chiara, we heard earlier about a bill to criminalize surrogacy. But what other proposals has the Italian Prime Minister put forward so far when it comes to changes to civil liberties? Civil liberties are definitely one of the areas in which she has got more freedom to act. In Italy, there are some grey areas when it comes to those civil rights where it is easier for a government to just step in and implement some views. Her government has been quite strict and taken a hard line against same-sex families. In the past, many from the ruling party have openly discriminated against the group. Some have called gay couples illegal, others have took part in anti-LGBTQ marches. We have seen that just a few months ago, the Interior Ministry asked local uh, municipalities to stop registering new certificates with same-sex parents. And this is one of the areas in which there is no clear law. So her government is not changing the law. She's just interpreting the law in the most right-wing and conservative way. Polls are showing that Italians are highly divided on this matter, but they're also very confused. 
because it's very hard to explain in a neutral and non-politicized way how surrogacy works, how civil rights work. It's a technical, ethical, complicated issue in which usually a lot of the decisions are left to the medical field and not to a government. So Italians are confused. Somehow they like the idea of traditional families, you know, a, a married man and woman. But at the same time, the Italian society is evolving quickly and families that do not follow a traditional pattern, single parents, people that never married or divorced, they don't have an issue in Italy or in Italian society. They don't face any sort of differentiation or, or different treatment. So Meloni is gambling a bit here with the electorate because it's not really clear that her policies are going to be reflected in more consensus for her party. Moving on to the economy, Alessandra, you were talking earlier about how Georgia Meloni doesn't really seem to have big problems at the moment with investors. But is Italy still a cause for fiscal concern? Because, you know, the EU recovery fund is coming back onto the table. And for our listeners, of course, that's the multi-billion euro recovery instrument. It was temporary and designed to support economies in the EU following the coronavirus pandemic. And we're going to hear a lot more talk in Europe about fiscal matters as a result. So I'm curious, is Italy going to get tangled up in that again? Italy is a country that has some serious issues We were talking about debt. The debt is very, very high, very hard to control. Right now, Europe, you know, is in the process of renegotiating how fiscal rules will be in the future. Now that the crisis of COVID is over and the energy crisis is over, what are European countries going to do about deciding how to manage their fiscal policy? And Meloni is making some noises and she's sort of saying, yes, well, you know, you should consider each separate country differently depending on their situation. That clearly means she wants some leeway. She wants some fiscal leeway. She wants to be able to spend to reward her electorate. It's still, you know, early days. They're still negotiating on the stability pact, but there will be some trouble there. And on the other hand, you mentioned the recovery fund. European leaders have agreed on a landmark stimulus package that will see the bloc issue 750 billion euros of joint debt. Italy was basically offered over 190 billion euros. And that is incredible. That is almost like a Marshall Plan. It's, it's something Italy's never seen because with the kind of debt it has, it doesn't have that kind of money to spend on bettering infrastructure, schools, green energy. So if they are not able to use recovery funds properly or quickly enough, that's truly tragic. You know, it will look bad to their European partners who have put up the money and it will mean a, a huge lost opportunity. But we know at the same time that Italy is very good at, you know, losing opportunities. They've not been able to spend money in the past. So that is a very, very big challenge for Meloni. And I think markets, they're waiting still, but they may judge her on that one. Every few years it rolls around this idea again that countries in Europe start to say, well, we should consider our individual circumstances and all this when we're talking about fiscal matters as a whole. But also there sort of seem to be some emerging tensions with the ECB, the European Central Bank. We're starting to see some nascent stuff around that. The European Central Bank in the last few moments has raised its main uh, policy rate by a quarter of 1%. That takes its main deposit rate from 3% to 3 and a quarter percent How much of a deal is that really for Italy? It is a very big deal. There's two issues. One is the reality, which is that obviously as rates increase, it's a problem for Italy because it becomes harder to manage its debt. It's more expensive. And then there's the part that's internal. 
she has to show a little bit that she's still Meloni. So she's still someone who can stand up to Europe, someone who can complain when it's time and put Italy first, because past Italian governments were very collaborative. But Meloni's on this platform of Italy first, Italy first, Italy first. And the ECB is one place where she can show that she's banging her fists. Now, whether in reality that actually matters... Not so much, because if inflation remains high, the ECB is not doing it to punish Italy or the other you know, countries like Spain and Greece. The ECB is doing it to keep inflation down. Alessandra, you mentioned this idea of Italy first. And with this, Giorgia Maloney is sort of getting her fingers a bit into state-controlled companies and this idea of protecting Italian businesses and industries. Top of Prime Minister Giorgia Meloni's Italy First agenda is the creation of national champions in areas from energy to fashion and luxury and a sovereign wealth fund. When you look at key state assets, we've got the likes of the energy giants Enel and Eni and defence company Leonardo. They all recently underwent a bit of a changing of the guard with new CEOs coming in. And as a result, Meloni's gotten involved because the government is one of the key shareholders in all those companies. Can you talk a bit about what her intentions are when it comes to the state sector in Italy? She came in when all these posts were up for renewal, and it happens about every three years. So she's been quite fortunate. These are very, very big state-controlled companies, big companies that really matter, and she gets to put her people in. And that means that even if and when the government should fall, she will have people that have her worldview, so a more nationalist, a more, if we want to call it Italy first worldview, in those spots, and that won't change for at least three years. And that really matters, you know, because this is like the elite of um, the stock exchange, first of all, and people who are influencing all kinds of decisions from energy policy to also how we deal in relations with other companies out there. I mean, ENI for a long time was called, you know, the true foreign ministry because it's so active all over the world with its oil and, and gas interests that it's almost more efficient, some say, than the Italian foreign ministry. Her message is typically nationalist. She is not going to just collaborate and play nice. She wants Italian interests protected. And she also wants things like more influence for Italy in its backyard, which is really unusual. Italy has not done that since fascism. For example, she wants more influence in the Mediterranean. There is one area, policy area, where she has struck a bit of trouble, and that's on China. Chiara, Italy was sort of one of the few nations or large nations that signed a proper agreement with China on its Belt and Road Trade and Investment Program. And you can see her sort of slightly trying to reverse out of that a bit, but she can't reverse all the way out because Italy does still need to maintain trade and investment ties with China. How is she juggling all of that and what kind of peril do you see for her in that? All eyes are on Meloni just because she has to make a public announcement. By the end of the year, she will have to say publicly either yes or no uh, to the Belt and Road. Saying no could just really irritate Beijing with possible uh, retaliation. The Italian government is reportedly close to pulling out of China's Belt and Road initiative. Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney says Rome's further involvement in Xi Jinping's global trade network is up for debate. There is a lot of pressure from the U.S. on that, but at the same time, she wants to find a way not to really blow it into China's face. After the break, what can we expect from the Italian leader's visit to Washington, D.C.? Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Before we take a closer look at Georgia Maloney's relationship with Joe Biden ahead of their meeting at the White House, I wanted to talk about some of the Italian Prime Minister's key relationships with foreign leaders. One that's emerged as being exceptionally fraught, it's her relationship with the French President Emmanuel Macron. Chiara, can you talk a bit about what's behind the tensions between Maloney and Macron? I mean, they generally don't really like each other as kind of instinctively as people. For Macron, Meloni is a sort of nemesis. She is associated to Marine Le Pen, even if Alessandra was saying they are really different political figures. So for Macron, it's really hard to be seen domestically with a Meloni to be hosting her. In their first official meeting outside of international summits, Emmanuel Macron welcomed Georgia Maloney to the Elysee Palace. And this is contributing to the, the clash and the competition between the two of them. Meloni is just coming after Draghi and Draghi and Macron were really close. They were friends. They were like on a really good personal relationship for years, even before Draghi became prime minister. So, you know, it was hard for anyone to follow Mario Draghi in uh, leading relations with France. Well, you talked about instinctive relationship, the instinctive dislike that they seem to have for each other. I'm talking about Maloney and Macron. But Alessandra, one area where she seems to have an instinctive friendship, a very strong rapport, a connection, is with the US President Joe Biden. President Biden met with Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney for the first time today. The two leaders spoke during a closed-door meeting at the G20 summit in Bali. We saw that almost sort of affectionate comments with each other at the recent G7 summit when they were both in Hiroshima. We've seen it elsewhere, but there does seem to be a natural rapport with Joe Biden. What's your perception of that? It has a lot to do with Maloney's positioning herself as a really faithful ally of the U.S., and that's what she wants to convey. And she is sort of taking up what was once the center-right's position. You know, historically, Italy after World War II wanted to be the best possible ally for the U.S. Lots of things have happened since then, and there have been other positions, but I think Maloney really wants to prove herself. So it's her really courting, if we could say, Biden, you know, wanting to show she really is going to be a great ally and hoping as well. It's a sort of typical historically of the Italian right to want contracts with the U.S. and go in that direction. Every time we've had a right-wing government, the companies have done more business with the United States. 
Chiara, looking ahead to the meeting between Joe Biden and Georgia Maloney, what are some of the things we should be expecting from that? There is a lot of expectation from the Italian side of how important it is to be uh, hosted at the White House. So the key question that we want to see out of that meeting is that will Giorgia Meloni be somehow promoted to first tier leader? Will she still remain somehow on the fringes when it comes to the decision making in Europe? We have seen that she has a really good relation with Joe Biden. They've been hugging and smiling and praising each other a lot. But when it comes to the key calls in which, for example, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is discussed, military support to Ukraine is discussed, or key financial decisions, well, she has been somehow left out. Not because of her, but also because Italy is the third biggest European economy, but is still kind of a smaller country when it comes to the global stage. So the key question is, will this meeting be a promotion and an affirmation for Italy looking ahead? And what would that look like? What should we interpret as signs that that's actually happening? What's a tangible that she could come away with? I think a tangible will be some statements of U.S. support, for example, on the G7 that Italy will host next year. Or also we will look out for, for example, invitations of Meloni in key calls ahead or just stronger cooperation between the two countries. And is there any room for tension? I really see tension potentially on the discussion on China. The U.S. is really waiting for some signs that Italy will pull out of the Belt and Road Initiative. So the question is like, will Meloni really make a move this time or will she continue to take time? I could see some tension and possibly some statement by Biden that will force her to (laughs) to take a line. Kieran Alessandra, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Federica Romaniello is our producer. Our associate producer is Zainab Siddiqui. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Rosalind Matheson, in for Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. Hey there, it's Sarah Holder, host of Big Take. I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss, The Deal, co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, and executives like Maria Sharapova, Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter, and more. The deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment, and dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube.